Wonderful, thank you. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the power of worship and just how amazing it is to be able to come into your presence. And Lord, would you come and meet us this morning? Would you speak to us afresh? In Jesus' name, amen. So we're in a summer series, as Mars was saying, called AKA, also known as, and we're looking at the compound names of God in the Old Testament. So we've had Jehovah, we've had Jehovah Jireh, the Lord provides, and this week we are looking at Jehovah Nissi, the Lord is my banner. And there are two things from this passage that I want us to think about this morning. Firstly, we exist in a spiritual battle. So that's the first thing. Secondly, in the midst of the battle, we are called to hope and we are called to worship. So those are, if you like, our strategies in the present age that we live in. So firstly, we exist in a spiritual battle. Ephesians 6 says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So the Bible tells us that we struggle against evil spiritual forces. And I think there are two extremes that people go to when they think about these evil spiritual forces. One of them is to be full of fear of the enemy and to give it far too much attention. The other is to be completely oblivious and to not give the enemy any thought, just to discard the idea that there might be an enemy out there. And two are both quite harmful or dangerous because one view, when you're afraid of the enemy, it's like you're thinking, okay, so there's the enemy and there's God and they're kind of neck and neck in the battle and we don't really know who's going to win. That's not giving God the glory. That's not believing that he has defeated the powers of darkness, that he is the only God. The other view, where you completely dismiss any idea of spiritual forces, is you don't guard yourself against the enemy. But the Bible tells us, put on the full armor of God so that we can take our stand against the devil's schemes. So now as we look at our passage in Exodus of a physical battle, I think we kind of get a picture of what the devil's schemes can look like in the spiritual existence that we live in and what our strategy, what our stance should be in this reality. So let's go to Exodus 17. If you've got your Bibles, do have them open. The people of Israel have been freed from slavery. They've um, been delivered from Egypt. They cross through the waters. Um, Moses, with the staff of God, parts the sea. And if you've got your Christological lens on or your Jesus goggles and you're looking at it through the perspective of the cross, that's kind of like the waters of baptism. So they've been delivered. They've been saved. And then they are a pilgrim people wandering in the wilderness to the promised land. And God has provided the, every, every need, so he's given them water from the rock. He provides when they're thirsty, or when the water is um, tainted, he gives them water from the rock. When they're hungry, he gives bread from heaven. He provides them food and sustenance for their journey. And yet they are still vulnerable. That's the reality. So imagine, imagine this group of people. There are at least thousands of Israelites wandering, wandering in the wilderness, thousands at least. Some people say there are over two million of them. We don't quite know. Um, the numbers, we're not quite sure. The point is there are a lot. And among them, I mean, they've just been released from captivity. 
probably born into captivity, so they're not exactly equipped for this wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. They're definitely not equipped for battle. They're not strong physically. They will have women, they will have children, they will have animals with them, they will have um, people who are, have disabilities, they have the elderly, and they're traveling en masse through the wilderness. So just imagine for a moment, what would it have been like to be among this massive group of people. And the wilderness we know is full of perils. Not only the extreme weather of scorching heat in the day, the lack of water, but also freezing cold nights. There would have been wild animals that might attack them, and there would have been like wilderness bandits, so people that might attack them. And this is what we see in verse eight. It says, then Amalek came out and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So we know this is an unprovoked attack. And if we look at Deuteronomy 25, it tells us a bit more. It says, remember when you were weary and worn out, they met you on the journey and attacked all who lagged behind. They had no fear of God. So who were the ones lagging behind this massive group of people? The vulnerable ones, the weak ones, the children, the women, the sick, the elderly. Have you noticed in your life, when you are vulnerable, when you are worn out, when you are tired, that is when the enemy sneaks in? Have you noticed that? Jesus says the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And I know for myself, when I've been at my lowest, when I've, that's when I've started to listen to the lies of the enemy the one who brings shame and fear and discontentment and despair. And if we begin to listen to those lies of the enemy, that's when those things start to drive us and those things can become the idols in our lives. Um, often when I imagine what the strategy of the enemy might look like, I always think, oh, it's gonna be really as bold as brass. He's just gonna attack us front on and it will be really obvious. But actually he knows our vulnerabilities. He comes when we're weak, often. So, um, for, just for example, uh, some of us may have grown up maybe in poverty where we didn't have much to live with. And so then maybe now as adults, we kind of plenty and prosperity and comfort are the things that drive us because those are where we've been weak in our lives. So they can, if we're not careful, those things can become the things that drive us and the things that become our idols. Um, there's a famous quote that goes, prosperity knits a person to the world. They think they're finding their place when really it's finding their place in them. For me, um, because of my experience of abuse growing up, um, the thing that came in in my life was the feeling of shame, completely overwhelmed by shame, self-hatred, just hating myself. And so then the idols and the things that drove me in my life were perfectionism, I strove for perfectionism, and people-pleasing. I needed affirmation. And so instead of just being a good thing in my life, that became my driving force behind me and the thing that I drove for, my idol. Because of course, both those things, like money and like doing things really, really well, are not bad things. But if they become seated in us as idols, they drive us, they steal our joy, they steal our hope. We know this, don't we? So how do we recognize if it's just a normal thing or if it's the enemy? Satan takes us captive. The Holy Spirit liberates us. Satan accuses and shames us. The Holy Spirit convicts and comforts us. Satan drives us. 
the Holy Spirit leads us. So when we recognize this work of the enemy in the world, and when we are in the midst of this spiritual battle, what are we called to do? Well, in this story, I think it's saying we're called to hope. And secondly, we're called to worship. So if over lunch someone says, oh, what was the sermon about today? These two things, okay? (laughs) I know what it's like. Remember these two things. Called to hope in the midst of the battle, and we're called to worship. Moses has seen the enemy, right? They're picking off the vulnerable ones. They're lagging behind. The next day, he says to Joshua, gather an army. He would not have been the best army in the world, to be fair. Go and fight Amalek and his people. And then Moses' great battle plan was... I'm going to go up to the hill and I'm going to lift my staff in the air. (laughs) Great, thanks Moses. That's really helpful. And he says, when the staff was lifted high, Israel prevailed. As he grew tired, lowered his hands, Emelech prevailed. So he needs to keep his hands in the air, the staff in the air. The poor guy is from dawn till dusk, so he's a bit tired. (laughs) And he starts to lower his hands. So the beautiful thing is he's got Aaron and her either side of him, keeping his arms steady. And then it says, verse 13, Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with a sword. Brilliantly acted out great earlier. (laughs) So what is this all about? Why did Moses do that? We find out at the end of the passage, Moses builds an altar to the Lord and he calls it, the Lord is my banner. So what was the banner in ancient warfare? The banner, if you were winning the battle, you would look out and you would be maybe scattered about the battlefield, maybe you're separated from the rest of the army. You look out, you see the banner, you know you're winning. You know you're not defeated. Maybe you've been injured, you need to get back to safety. You go to the banner. Maybe you're lacking direction, go back to the banner. The banner in battle is a sign of hope and a sign of victory. So to say the Lord is my banner is to say the Lord is my hope for victory. Hope. Let's just think about that. So in our language, we kind of talk about hope like, I really hope Katie doesn't go on too long today. Or like, I really hope it doesn't rain later. Like, there's a bit of uncertainty in it, isn't there? Um, Maybe it won't happen. Maybe what I want will happen. Hope in the Bible is a certainty. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. In the midst of the battle, our hope, our banner, is the cross. It's the cross of Jesus. And the cross in Greco-Roman world was not a sign of hope, was it? It was absolutely a tyrannical, terrible way to destroy hope, to to repress people, to destroy rebellion against the Caesar in a way of Caesar saying, I have power over you. And Jesus would have grown up in the shadow of the cross. You couldn't go into a, a major city, you couldn't enter or exit a city on a road without seeing dead bodies on crosses or carcasses with birds on them of crosses. You couldn't look up to a hill and see a vision of hope, you would see crosses. It was a very clear sign. And actually we've heard in, um, in antiquity, in writings of antiquity, there were mass killings sometimes. If there was a mass rebellion against Caesar, he would just kill thousands and thousands in one day. Jesus would have known all this. And the Jews would have known that. I mean, it makes it a stark reality when you think of Jesus saying, take up your cross. You're kind of like, great. But of course, the cross of Jesus is not of defeat. It's not of fear. It is of hope. Because he has defeated the oppression. He has defeated the powers. He has defeated death. 
And it says that God is with us. He is with us in the depths of the army. He is with us in the fray. He is the banner in the midst of the army. And it's empty. He's overcome. It's been won. There is no one greater than Jesus. So in the midst of the battle, we're called to hope. And then secondly, we're called to worship. Straight after Moses names the altar, the Lord is my banner, the Lord is my hope. Um, It says that he lifts his hand towards the Lord. Now there's a bit, it's a bit tricky because in some translations, it says, because a hand was lifted against the throne. Some translations miss out the words throne and replace it for banner. So it's really tricky, but if you look at the footnotes, it gives you like the other alternatives. And most scholars and most Hebrew commentators agree, this is what it should read. Moses built an altar and called it, the Lord is my banner. He said, my hand is lifted towards the throne of the Lord. That makes more sense, right? (laughs) We are saved for a purpose. We are saved to be image bearers of God, of the cross, of hope, of victory on the earth. And we're called to do this through worship, through lifting our hands to the throne of God, to break the power of idolatry in our lives. He has done it. I love um, the screw tape letters. Anyone else love C.S. Lewis screw tape letters? Yes, so good, and I've quoted it before. If you don't know it, there's, um, it's a book of fictional letters. So there's this um, enemy. He's a, he's a really good, like, um, proficient elderly devil. Elderly? Older devil. And then um, there's a younger devil called Wormtail, and he writes some advice to this older devil. Younger devil, sorry. And so this experienced devil writes a top tip to the little younger one and he starts by talking about God he says he God really does want to fill the universe with a lot of loathsome little replicas of himself creatures whose life on its miniature scale will be qualitatively like his own not because he has absorbed them but because their wills freely conform to his we want cattle who can finally become food he wants servants will finally become sons and daughters. We want to suck in, he wants to give out. We are empty and would be filled. He is full and flows over. And I've told you this story before. I'm gonna tell it again, because it's one of my favorite stories of my mum. And I think this is a really good example of someone worshiping in the midst of a battle. She had lots of battles in her life, but she was addicted to worshiping Jesus. (laughs) Like a brilliant addiction to have. She loved Jesus so much. It was really embarrassing growing up. Um, She had a little uh, bright blue Mini Cooper with a massive steering wheel and a choke (laughs) um, and a massive gearbox and everything. It was great. And a cassette tape. And she'd always have worship on in the cassette tape. And what she would do is, if she was to drive through a built-up area, through a town, she wouldn't just, like, wind up the windows. No. (laughs) She wound down the windows and turned up the volume really loud to blast out the worship music. And I was there hiding in the back, trying not to be seen. But it was brilliant. Um, And she told me this story. This is the story I've told before. She used to walk through this town. She would go shopping in this town um, regularly. And one time this woman approached her and she said, I've seen you around town for years, years and years. Every time I see you, I have to walk to the other side of the street. And, um, and my mum was very spiritually aware. She grew up in an environment where they did not worship God, they worshiped other things. And so she was like, oh, interesting. Well, I'm a Christian. I wonder if that's got anything to do with it. And then the woman goes, oh, interesting. I am, I'm a witch. <laughs> 
just shows to me, like she was repelled by Jesus, by someone who worshiped Jesus. And she had to walk to the other side of the street. The sad thing is I don't know what happened after that. I'm sure she shared the gospel with this woman and still prayed for her. But what a powerful image of the power of Jesus, the power of worship in the midst of the battle. We are called to worship God, not because he needs us to fill him, to satisfy him. He is filled and he will flow over. But when we worship, we join in with the angels. We usher in the kingdom of heaven here on earth. And we direct our hearts as we draw near to him and he will, the promises, draw near to us. It's Psalm 63. God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I long for you. I thirst for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your glory and your power because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name I will lift up my hands. That's what we're called to do in the wilderness. And the beautiful thing is, if you're struggling, if you're weary, if your hands are falling down by your side because of life, because life is tough. Moses had Aaron and her either side. We need each other. We need prayer. And I really believe we need the spiritual gifts in the church because they encourage, they comfort, and they strengthen. We need to be encouraging and comforting and strengthening one another in prayer, in the gifts of the Spirit, in the gifts of prophecy, building one another up. Do it with each other. Do it in your home groups. Pray for one another. Um, in, just before Christmas, we're going to start looking at those spiritual gifts. We've got a mini-series on the spiritual gifts, and I'm very excited. So, to finish, we need to be aware that we are in a spiritual battle. And in the midst of the battle... We have hope, we have the cross, and we need to worship. We need to lift our hands. Amen. We're going to come to a time of communion now. If you have children, please feel free, if you want to, to bring them forwards. There's non-alcoholic at the front. Um, Or we can just bless them, so just let us know. But before we do that, as before we come to the cross, um, don't worry about all the noise that's going on. It's wonderful. We're a family. Um, But let's just quiet our hearts and we're going to welcome the Holy Spirit. So come Holy Spirit. Lord, we welcome you now. We ask, Lord, that you would reveal to us areas where we've let the enemy take a foothold. Things that are driving us. Things that are stealing our hope. Things that are stealing our joy. Holy Spirit, come, open our eyes to see the work of your kingdom. And Holy Spirit, you are the one who sets us free. Jesus, you have done it. Lift our eyes to the cross. Come, Lord Jesus, just allow God to minister to you before we come to communion.